Okay, so we are doing now Friday's portion of Shemay. And what happened over the past two days of the Chumash portion was God appeared to Moses in the burning bush. He gave him this mission to go and redeem the Jews. Moses very much didn't want to do this. He wanted Aaron to have the honor. He didn't want to supersede his brother. He wanted the Messiah to do it. Why should I be the Redeemer? The ultimate Redeemer is not me. But God made him do it, as, as the Lav Shereb explained, by asking for God to send the Messiah. What Moses was really doing was fusing his energy, the energy of the Redeemer from Egypt, with the Messiah, the ultimate Redeemer of the Jewish people's energy. So when Moses went to redeem the people, it was within him, the energy of the Messiah. And we will have now the redemption through the Messiah. Within the Messiah is Moses as well. So continue today's portion. So now Moses accepted this mission. And as Babav Shreve explains, that every true leader doesn't want the job. If someone's wanting the honor, we know it's not for him. When someone doesn't want the honor, it's a sign he's probably the right man. So Moses went and he returned to Yeser, his father-in-law, and said to him, let me go, please, and I shall turn to my brethren who are in Egypt and see if they are still alive. And Yisra said to Moses, go in peace. So Rashi explains, first of all, why he had to go now to his father-in-law. God sent him on a mission, and his father-in-law, Yisra, had made previously Moses swear that he wouldn't leave Midian, he wouldn't leave this country without his permission. A second issue here is we know the name. We've already seen his name in the Chumash, and it's Yisro. In our very verse, it's Yisro. But here it says Yeser. So Rashi explains that Yisro, Moses' father-in-law, had seven names. The next verse, God said to Moses and Midian, go return to Egypt, for all the men who seek your life have died. So Rashi explains what we're we talking about here, the men that are seeking your life. This is Dustin and Aviron. Remember, Dustin and Aviron, seemingly these perpetual thorns in Moses' side, were the two people who previously were actually the reason why he had to flee Egypt, that Moses had actually protected one of them from the Egyptian who was beating him constantly. And Moses had killed that Egyptian using God's name. And the next day, this very person, with all of his gratitude, and his brother-in-law, Dustin and Avir were brother-in-laws, were fighting, and Moses got involved to stop them. And they turned on him and said, oh, really? Now you're going to tell us what to do? Like you killed that Egyptian? We know what you did. And they actually went to Pharaoh and pushed Pharaoh. Pharaoh didn't actually want to do it. Moses was, grew up in the palace, was a part of the family, was a very good administrator. They pushed Pharaoh to the point where Pharaoh was agreeing. He, they got at him that he was going to kill Moses. That was what they wanted. So these two people were really set, which is a crazy for us to understand why someone would do this to their own savior, but that was Dustin and Aviram. So God is saying, don't worry, they can't bother you anymore. It says they died, but as explained by the commentators on Rashi, it says who seek your life have died. If they're seeking your life, they're not dead. So they're alive, but they lost all their possessions. And someone who is so poverty stricken is considered as dead, meaning now they have no power, now there's no way they can harm you. So Moses took his wife and sons, mounted them on the donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. So the verse says on the donkey. Seemingly it should say on a donkey. The is implying it's a very particular, specific, known donkey. So what's this known donkey? 
So Rashi says, this is the donkey that Abraham saddled for the binding of Isaac. And this is the donkey that King Messiah is going to be revealed on. As it says, he's going to come on a donkey. So Lubavitcher have explained that we see here the progression and the refinement of the world because the donkey in Hebrew, Hamar, symbolizes the word Chomer, materialism. And originally, this donkey, we can saddle and ride and rule the materialism to the degree of when Abraham went to the binding of Isaac and he put the tools he needed on the donkey. But Abraham and Isaac walked. Now, we've progressed quite a bit in our development, seven generations later. And now Moses, he himself doesn't ride the donkey, but now we have so become masters of the physicality of the world, they could have put his wife and children on the donkey. And ultimately, by the Messiah, Messiah himself will ride on this donkey, same donkey. And he returned to the land of Egypt, the verse says. But then after that, the verse says, and Moses took the staff. Well, obviously, Moses had to take the staff from Midian before he returned to Egypt. And Rashi explains that the scripture is not necessarily written sequentially. It doesn't mean there's no order in the scripture, but it does not have to be in chronological sequence if there's a reason not. Next verse, God said to Moses, when you go to return to Egypt, see all the wonders that I've put in your hand and before them before Pharaoh. Christ shall strengthen his heart and he will not send out the people. So, what we're saying here, this is the very beginning of Moses' mission. He hasn't even gone to Egypt yet. And God is already giving him this forewarning, this vision of his whole mission there. It's going to take about a year. There were 10 plagues and each one took a month. So be aware. In the end, you have to be really strong and courageous to perform all the wonders before Pharaoh and not be scared of him. So in other words, on the outset of your journey, I'm telling you, I want you to see the miracles in your mind's eye and be in a frame of mind to proceed courageously. Like Almost as if we're saying to psych yourself up. If we're going out, uh, if you're going to go out and speak to someone, you're a little nervous, and you think very strongly of good, of God being with you, of all the great things that are going to happen because of this encounter, so then you could do it with strength. And that's what Moses is now being told to do by God. So all the wonders that I've put in your hands, what are these wonders? Now we know that there were three wonders that God put in Moses' hand by the burning bush. But we also know those wonders were not for Pharaoh. We know he, showed, he was told to show those wonders to the Jews, and he did. And we don't see anywhere that he ever showed those wonders to Pharaoh, which he didn't. So what are these wonders that God put in his hand? So Rashi says this means all the wonders in the future that I'm going to put in your hand to do before Pharaoh. Like, for example, the wonder of Moses' staff turning into a serpent. But this didn't happen yet. God didn't put these in his hand yet. Yet still, the idea is that when you, Moses, speak to Pharaoh, at that point I will have already put your, in your hand these wonders that you will then perform before him. Next verse. So you shall say to Pharaoh, so says God, my firstborn son is Israel. Now, Rashi explains, when is he supposed to say this? So Moses is going to talk to Pharaoh. Moses is going to try to tell Pharaoh to let the Jews out of Egypt. And Pharaoh's heart is hard. He's not letting the Jews out. Then tell him this. Now, God said here he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart. The truth is the first five plagues, Pharaoh didn't need God's help. He hardened his own heart. 
those next five plates would have been humanly impossible to stand up to them. And yet God wanted the point very strongly expressed, and they forgot part in Pharaoh's part, part to express the glory of God and the power of God and the vengeance God was taking for the Jewish people, his children. So God here is saying, my firstborn are the Jews. So Rashi gives two explanations. Either firstborn isn't literal, it means great, like the greatness of the Jewish people, or on a more allegorical, midrashic explanation, by calling the Jews the firstborn, God is putting like his stamp of approval to the sale of the birthright that Jacob, if you remember, bought from Esau the birthright. And this birthright is now being acknowledged by God. The Jews are truly the firstborn. Next verse. So I say to you, send out my son that he may serve me. But you have refused to send him out. Behold, I shall kill your firstborn son. So what's this, so I say to you? So I say to you is like Moses now talking, as an emissary God. So why is he adding these words that don't seemingly add anything to the meaning of the verse? So what Rashi is explaining is that these words, so I say to you, means Moses is saying, I'm now continuing to quote the prophecy in direct terms. I'm speaking in the first person. This is God talking. I am saying to you in the name of God. If you're not going to send out my firstborn, I'm going to kill yours. So Rashi points out this is very interesting because this was the final plague of the ten plagues. And yet God warns Pharaoh about it first because it's the most severe. And God wants him to repent and let the Jews out. Even though he's hardening his heart, he still wants him to repent and let the Jews out. And we see here the difference between man and God in a very overt way because if a man has this plan to attack, to harm somebody, he's going to hide it. He's not going to want the other person to know it. He doesn't want the other person to try to escape his plot. But God knows there's no escaping God's plot. The only way you escape God's plot is through repentance. So therefore, God specifically warns us of everything he's going to do because he wants us to, so to speak, escape the plot. He wants us to repent. But if you don't repent, I have no issues. I'm going to get you. This is exactly what's going to happen to you. Okay. So now Moses is traveling with his wife and his two sons, one of which was just born eight days ago to Egypt. So when he was on the way at the inn, God encountered him and sought to kill him. So Rashi explained that he, he here actually refers to Moses and the angel was sent by God to try to kill Moses. Now what was going on? Why someone we want to kill Moses? We just spent seven days. Moses was at that burning bush for seven days. It took God seven days to convince Moses to do this mission. And now God wants to kill him. Well, what happened was, as I told you, that it was born to Sonora now a boy. Eight days before they set out, his name was ultimately Eliezer. And Moses did not circumcise him. And because he didn't circumcise him, he's punishable by the death penalty. And what's going on here? This is Moses. Why in the world would Moses not circumcise his son? I mean, this is Moses. He was born. The house was full of his light, the light of Torah, the light of God. He continues forever as a human embodiment of Torah. Why in the world wouldn't he circumcise his son? But he made a very appropriate calculation. He's like, wait, if I circumcise my son, it's dangerous to travel for a baby to travel when he's just circumcised. So we have to wait three days for the baby to be safe. But God told me to go now to redeem the Jews. I can't wait three days. 
So I have to put circumcising Hassan on the side to take care of the needs of the entire Jewish people and go save them. That was actually a completely correct calculation. But what's the problem now? The problem is he stopped at the end. At this point, when he stopped at the end, not again, not that he wasn't allowed to stop at an inn, but if he stopped at the inn, at this point he should have immediately circumcised his son because at this point they were close enough to Egypt they could have circumcised his son and this, his son could have still handled the trip from the inn to Egypt. They would not have had to wait three days. Now again, maybe in Moses' head he thought we can't you know, play around, we're not allowed to take chances with an infant's life and we're just going to wait till we get to Egypt, but at this point, I, I can't travel anymore. It's dark. We, we have to stop. But this was a complaint against him. Not that he stopped at the inn, and not that he didn't before circumcise his son, but now at this moment, you're at the inn, the first thing you should have done is circumcise your son. So what happened? So the angel, which was sent to imply this punishment to Moses, took on the form of a serpent and swallowed Moses from his head to his thighs, and then retreated and swallowed him from his feet to that same place. And Zipporah understood this is because of the circumcision. So what did she do? So Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and threw it to his feet, touched it to his feet. And she said, a husband of blood you are to me. Now Rashi says touched it to his feet means she cast the foreskin before the feet of Moses. Other commentators say she cast it at the feet of the angel. And she said to her son, meaning now she's talking to her son, this newborn, and saying, a husband of blood you are to me, meaning you would have caused my husband to have been murdered because of you. So it's like as if, I mean, obviously it wasn't the baby's fault, but as if the killer of my husband are you to me. So he loosened his hold on him, meaning the angel, Rashi explains, loosening his hold on Moses. And then she said, Zipporah said, a husband of blood because of circumcision. So Rashi says, oh, now she understands that the whole thing was because of the circumcision. That's why the angel had come to kill Moses. So she's saying, oh, my husband would have been murdered over the matter of the circumcision. Now this Rashi is a little perplexing because obviously Zipporah understood it. Zipporah already immediately saw what was going on and circumcised her son, got the message. And she already threw the foreskin at the feet of Moses or the angel. And she already said to her son that, you know, because of you, because of the circumcision, my husband might die. So what does it mean now she realized? So the point is that what Sipora thought happened was that this angel was coming to kill Moses. That's what she thought was going on. And she understood why. Obviously for a regular person it would not have been an issue, but for someone of Moses' extreme stature, who have not immediately circumcised his son when they came to the inn, He's already deserving death penalty. We don't care that we're sending him for Dean the Jews. Forget it. We'll find someone else. Yes, they're gone. So when Zipporah saw the angel swallowing Moses, she thought he was gone. So why did she go and circumcise her son? Because she understood that's what God wanted. She wasn't doing it to try to save Moses' life. She was doing it because that's obviously the issue, so she's going to do the right thing here. When, after she circumcises her son, the angel retreats, then she realizes, and this is the point of Rashi saying, that's when she realized, oh, the angels didn't come to kill my husband. I thought this was a death sentence. No, what the angel is doing is giving a warning that unless the commandment of circumcision is fulfilled immediately, Moses will be killed. So then when the angel loosens his grip on Moses, then Sipar understood the nature of his attack. 
meaning it was a warning to perform the circumcision, not a punishment for failing to fulfill it. And this is really the last Rashi here in terms of because of the circumcision, because of the matter of the circumcision, um, the blood. Now, we're looking here, the power is speaking here about the blood, a husband of blood because of the circumcision. So how Rashi was explaining it until now was that the blood here is the blood of Moses, meaning the threatened, impending death of Moses because of the circumcision is the blood we're talking about. Oculus interprets it that the blood we're talking about is the blood of the circumcision. 